This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and it's an absolute delight and privilege to welcome my esteemed guest, Julia Cameron, in this special edition of the program. Hailed by the New York Times as the Queen of Change, Julia Cameron is credited with starting a movement in 1992 that has brought creativity into the mainstream conversation in the arts, in business, and in everyday life. She is the best-selling author of more than 40 books, fiction and nonfiction, a poet, songwriter, filmmaker, and playwright. Commonly referred to as the godmother or high priestess of creativity, her tools are based in practice, not theory, and she considers herself the floor sample of her own toolkit. The Artist's Way is the seminal book on the subject of creativity. An international bestseller, it has inspired millions to overcome the limiting beliefs and fears that can inhibit the creative process. It has been translated into 40 languages and sold over 5 million copies to date. Julia Cameron, author of multifarious books, has written this Bible, as it were, on creativity, The Artist's Way, which will be one of the main subjects of our conversation today. As well, we will talk about one of Julia's latest books, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, Discovering Creativity and Meaning at Midlife and Beyond. I have admired and been in awe of Julia Cameron's work and written about her and her wonderful books for many years now. I'm thrilled to introduce her to you now. I'm speaking to Julia Cameron remotely from her home in the mountains of New Mexico. Julia Cameron, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you, Judy. It's good to be here. Julia, as I mentioned just before we started, I've really been a longtime fan and have written about your book, The Artist's Way, for years in the column I did, The Life Coach Corner. I've also invited many of my coaching clients to read this book, and I have to tell you, it is truly an honor to be speaking to you today. I love the story you tell when you say you were sitting alone in a cafe, dining solo, and a woman approached you and said, quote, pardon me. Has anyone ever told you you resemble Julia Cameron? And startled, you replied, I am Julia Cameron. Can you tell me how that made you feel and why it is still a thrill for you every single time? Well, it's exciting to to watch the lights come on in someone's face. Uh, And when they recognize me, they are often recalling jubilantly the growth that they've had through using the tools. So when they say, your book changed my life, or because of you I'm now a novelist, or I'm now a painter, or a sculptor, uh, when they tell me this, uh, I I feel a great sense of satisfaction. It's as though uh, my books and my teachings are like little seeds for a garden, uh, and when they come up to me and tell me, here's my book, it's as if I'm watching a beautiful lily come to bloom. 
That's so incredible. You published The Artist's Way, Julia, 25 years ago, and I think you thought you were writing a book for a handful of friends and instead wrote a book that spoke to millions. What was the central premise of the book originally, and what inspired you to write it? Well, I want to say it was my temper. I have always hated bullies, uh, and I felt that artists were being bullied uh, and cowed and made to feel less than. And so when I wrote the book, it was intended as a sort of manifesto. Uh, And uh, the central premise of the book, as you well know, is that we are all creative, and with the use of a few simple tools, we can become more creative. Yes, absolutely true. And what did you think when it became so much more than a book on creativity, but a movement that brought creativity into the mainstream? Were you, like, blown away by this? I was excited. It happened gradually. Uh, It first started with some nuns in Connecticut teaching the artist's way, uh, and then the Jungians got a hold of it, uh, and the Creation Spirituality Network got a hold of it. Uh, And so by the time it became a movement, I was, uh, I had run away. Uh, When it first started to really sell, I got scared. Yes. And I thought, oh, dear God, I don't want to be trapped uh, as a teacher. I want to be an artist. So I ran away to England and wrote a musical. Wow. What musical did you write? It was called Avalon. Oh, are you a singer? I'm not a singer, although I like to sing. <laughs> oh, that's so incredible. And is Avalon still played? Is it, is it, does it have any productions anywhere around the world? Avalon was done once and only once in a tiny little mountain town high up in the New Mexico mountains. Mm. Uh, and it was there that I met my collaborator, Ebba Lively, Uh, who was a classical violist, uh, and she came out because she saw the ad for a world-class premiere. (laughs) And she said, I love your music. So my music is available. Uh, If you want to hear Avalon, uh, you you go to GeorgiaCameronLive.com, music, uh, and there are several uh, musicals on there. My daughter is a musical theater student at a school in Canada called Sheridan College, which is where Come From Away uh, came from. And uh, we're always looking for great songs, so I'd love to check it out and see if there's any good songs for a soprano. Well, there are. (laughs) Sounds great. Julia, were you, as a little girl, a creative being? Were you always sort of a creative person? I think I always was, uh, but not with the loftiest of motives. Mm. When I was in sixth grade, a a boy moved to our school from the South, uh, and I wanted him to be my boyfriend. (laughs) I was just coming into puberty and just getting the idea of crushes, uh, and so I wrote short stories to woo him. Uh, and uh, it didn't work. He fell in love with Peggy Conroy instead. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but he told me many years later uh, that he had just been attracted to me but had chickened out. <laughs> I bet he's regretting it now. 
Julia, are we all, you sort of referenced before that we are all born creative. Is that the case? Yes, I think it is. I think we're all born creative, uh, and then we are either encouraged or discouraged. Uh, and as we go on through life, we encounter teachers and mentors and parents who may have a belief in a, a lot of negativity that we have around creativity. You know, we believe that there are only a few people who are really creative, Mm -hmm. that they are completely fearless, uh, that they are a tiny little tribe. Uh, And if we tell our parents, I think I want to be a writer, they say, oh, darling, (laughs) don't you think you might need something to fall back on? Which yes. is not what they would say if we said we wanted to be a historian. You're right. You're so right. You also believe, Julia, that creativity is a spiritual practice. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, I think if we look at the natural world, we have abundant proof of a creator's creativity. Uh, if you look at trees, you have a maple tree, an oak tree, a pine tree, a blue spruce, mm. Uh they come in all shapes and forms. Yes. Uh, and I think that creativity is the same way. It comes in a myriad of ways and a myriad of forms. Uh, and when we tap into our creativity, we are actually tapping into the creator's creativity. Mm-hmm. It's as though we are creations and we are intended to be creative. Mm, that's such a lovely thought. I, I, I love that. Let's talk about one of the most important elements of the book. And of course, I'm referring to the morning pages. <laughs> I suggest to everyone, and I've done myself many times, what are the morning pages and why do they work and why do we write them? I would say, first of all, that the morning pages are a tool that involves work. As I'll say to people, I have a tool for you. Mm. It's very potent, but it's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to get up an hour early and take to the page and write longhand anything that crosses your mind. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I want more of. This is what I want less of. And it's as if you're sending a telegram to the universe. Yes. And you're, you're contacting the universe and saying, this is who I truly am. This is what I truly feel. Mm-hmm. This is what I truly want. Yes. Uh, and boarding pages are best done first thing upon awakening. Mm-hmm. Jungians tell us we have 45 minutes before our defenses are in place. <laughs> So we're trying to catch ourselves undefended and vulnerable. Yes. They're done longhand. They're done done stream of consciousness. And uh, a lot of times people will say, but Julia, I'm so much faster on the computer. (laughs) And I will say, yes, but fast is not what we are after. We're after depth and authenticity. Do you believe? So it's as if um, when you write longhand, uh, well, if you write by computer, it's like you're in a car and you're going 85 miles an hour and you go, oh my God, was that my exit? (laughs) And if you're writing longhand, it's as if you're in a car going 35 and you go, oh, here comes my exit. 
Why, look, there's a convenience store. <laughs> it's, it's stream of consciousness. You don't want to think about it too much. And I often wonder, do you recommend doing it with your non-dominant hand? No. They're intended, you, you want people to be able to read them back if they wish. Yeah, I, I don't rec- recommend or study the work of, of non-dominant hand. Yes. So if you're right-handed, you write right-handed. Yes. Well, I've always wondered what you thought about that. The morning pages are best, and I'm going to come back to them several times, but I just wanted to say you also suggest that they're best when worked in conjunction with the artist date. What is an artist date, and why is this so important? Okay. Uh, Judy, it's as if you're building a spiritual radio kit. Hmm. Uh, And with morning pages, you're sending, you're tapping the keys and saying, this is what I want, this is what I like. Uh, And then Hmm. you do them every day, first thing in the morning, and they sort of clear away the debris of of a negative soundtrack from your life Hmm. so that you see many more choice points during the day. And you use your time much more productively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that they are a radical codependency withdrawal <laughs> because you keep from being swept up in the agendas of others. Mm. An artist date is when you're building the second half of the radio kit, and that's when you flick the dial over to receive. Mm. And an artist date is you go once a week and you do a solo expedition mm. to do something that enchants or interests you. Mm. Uh, and I think it helps to think of our artist. Uh, we all maybe are a little sick of hearing about our inner child, mm-hmm. but the part of us that creates is childlike. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, when you're thinking of an artist date, it isn't time to take a new computer class. Exactly, exactly. You want to get in touch with your child because when you are a child, you're at your most creative. So on an artist date, you might do something like one of my favorite artist dates was going to a pet store. Mm. where they allowed you to pet baby bunnies. Oh, that's and so that fun. And that was just enchanting to me. Oh, I, I'm, I'm actually having a memory of something very similar at a beautiful place called Camp Winston, so I really know what you're talking about. Recently, the pet store was sold to a new owner, and the new owner added baby snakes. Oh! <laughs> it didn't exactly uh, warm my heart. So you might want to go to a pet store or an aquarium shop mm. or a florist or a children's bookstore. Mm. Uh, you might want to go to a gallery, uh, but you don't want to set the bar too high mm-hmm. and too adult. Yes. Stay, stay in touch with, with your child and your inner child. You know, so many people are afraid of their own creativity. I think of one person I know who loves the theater and could have been and still could be a brilliant theater producer empresario, but he is afraid. So he remains on the fringe instead of at the center. Is that what you mean, Julia, when you talk about shadow artists? Yes. Uh, a shadow artist is somebody who comes close to a desired art form but lingers on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, for example, a 
friend of mine took a master's degree in painting, <laughs> but then discovered he could make a lot more money as a photographer's rep. <laughs> so he became a rep instead of a fine artist. He didn't go all the way. He came so close. He came so close, but didn't go the whole way. Right. Shadow artists are often um, beating themselves up, uh, saying, if you only had more courage. Uh, they, They believe that they aren't entitled to the art form. They have low self esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frequently, uh, it's a monetary concern instilled by parents that mm-hmm. makes someone a shadow artist. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the shadow artist to bring them out of their shell and to make them go all the way to the finish line instead of stopping, you know, 200 yards before? Well, this is where I say I'm a little bit of a fanatic. You know, I, I want to say do morning pages, listen to what entices you, take an artist's date, allow yourself to feel playful. Uh, and what you find, uh, also there's a third tool that I didn't really know about when I wrote The Artist's Way. I said, said there were two major tools, mm-hmm. morning pages and artist dates. Uh, And then in week 12, I said, P.S. exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Now when I teach, I say there are three tools, Hmm. morning pages, artist dates, and walks. Yes, solo walks. And when you take a solo walk, you have hunches, intuitions, inklings. You may walk out with a problem and come back in with a solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... um, I think it's important uh, to realize that the tools used collectively Mm. create a spiritual awakening. And what pages do is they tutor us in taking risks. Mm. The first time they'll bring up a risk, we'll say, I can't do that. (laughs) The second time they bring up the same risk, you say, I don't think I can do that. Yeah. Maybe I could try. The third time, it's, I'm doing it. Exactly. It's so true. It's So So shadow artists have to be lured gently out of the shadows and into the sunlight. Yes. And you're suggesting that doing those morning pages, even if it's for at least 21 days, because that's how long it takes to form a new habit, and when when they start doing that, they might break through that barrier and come out of the shadows into the light. Yes. Along with all the other tools, of course, with the artist date and with and with the solo walks and, and just being aware, I would say, is part of it as well. Julia, you have many celebrities who credit their success and their creativity to you and the artist's way. Filmmaker Martin Scorsese attributes your work to his success. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, talks about how she had her breakthrough with your book. The list goes on with Annie Lamott, musician Pete Townsend. And you say that while it's thrilling to have so many celebrity endorsements, the book is perhaps at its best helping the lesser known dancers, choreographers, singers, actors, writers, novelists, screenwriters, musicians and artists of all kinds. That you're excited about reaching the people who may not necessarily even be celebrities. While it's exciting to think oh, maybe I had a a small hand in Alicia Keys' success. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more exciting to me to have uh, watched the blossoming of someone who perhaps didn't have celebrity. Yes. Uh, and to feel that the um, tools are leading them into self-empowerment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just think that celebrity endorsements, while they're sort of wonderful, they're really not the point. Exactly. There's so much more. It's great. I mean, that's great, but there's so much more. Who Who is Mark Bryan, and what made him urge you to write, shape, and teach the book The Artist's Way? Mark was my second husband. Okay, I didn't realize that. We've been divorced now uh, for 24 years. Yes. Uh, when I met him, he was a blocked writer, <laughs> and I said to him, uh, well, would you like to take a creative unblocking course? Mm. Come to my house. <laughs> and um, he said, where's the book? I travel in my work. <laughs> and I said, I am the book. <laughs> and he said, well, it should be a book. It could help a lot of people. Wow. Good advice. <laughs> so I found myself writing the book sort of at Mark, thinking, how can I unblock the son of a bitch? (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. And did you unblock him? (laughs) Yes, he's written several books since then. That's amazing. How did you come to teach creativity workshops in New York? How did that come to be? Well, I was a movie screenwriter uh, and a fledgling novelist. Uh, And I was walking in the West Village, which is a um, sort of haven of artists. Hmm. Uh, And I was praying for what should I do next, meaning, dear God, give me another idea for a movie. (laughs) And I heard teach. Wow. (laughs) I thought, oh, my God, no, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be an artist. Hmm. And... um, I went home, and I called up a girlfriend of mine and said, I'm praying for what to do next, and they told me, teach. (laughs) And I was horrified, and she said, I'll call you right back. So she called me back 10 minutes later and said, congratulations, (laughs) you are now on the faculty (laughs) of the New York Feminist Art Institute, which I had never heard of. Uh, And your first class meets Thursday. And, of course, what I found was that I loved teaching, that the tools were working for other people besides myself, uh, and that as I taught creative unblocking, I myself remained unblocked. Oh, that's so cool. You know, it was like practice what you preach. Of course. I was a a floor sample of my own toolkit. (laughs) Oh, that's so incredible. Julia, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, more on your groundbreaking book, The Artist's Way. That's right, The Artist's Way with national best-selling author and icon, Julia Cameron. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. 
In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back with the prolific novelist, playwright, songwriter, and poet, the inimitable Julia Cameron talking about her transformative work, The Artist's Way. Julia, I love that for you the term enlightenment is a literal one. Can you describe the glow that comes over someone when they tap into their own creativity? Well, I often think, oh dear, we should be taking Polaroids (laughs) before and after shots. But of course, I want to protect people's anonymity, so I don't do any such thing. (laughs) But what happens is that as people, um, maybe they come into class skeptical, arms folded, Heads tilted to one side, mouth a little bit tight. Hmm. Uh, And then a couple of weeks go by and they're doing morning pages in artist states. uh, And suddenly their arms are unfolded. Hmm. Their mouth is smiling. (laughs) uh, And their eyes have a special light to it. Uh, And it's a wonderful thing to, to watch the lights come on for someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm sure it. you've had that experience. Very much so. I have it as a life coach, and I see someone, I find they almost, their face becomes pinker. And I sometimes take a hand mirror, and I put it in front of their face just so they can see how their oh, face dear. is relaxed <laughs> and, and how beautiful it looks when they're starting to get connected to their passion, their purpose, calling, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes, though, the process can be choppy. And you say that in the first few weeks of the process, you see giddiness and you sometimes see some defiance. And then there's anger and grief and resistance and hope. It's so choppy and full of so many emotions. What, what, What do you mean when you say that some people do what you call a creative U-turn? Aha. Well, a creative U-turn in terms of the course is that they get to uh, week eight or nine and they're beginning to change very rapidly and they get scared. Mm -hmm. And so they abandon the morning pages Mm -hmm. uh, and do a U-turn and try and go back to the way they were, which of course doesn't work. So they pick up the pages again Mm -hmm. and keep going. Yes. But a creative U-turn is something that I, I teach uh, is you're working along in a certain art form and something happens. Either you're criticized harshly or you're maybe praised too highly and it frightens you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you stop working in that art form and you do a U-turn. Uh, and what happens when I, when I teach U-turns is that People at first become very serious and sad as they recall having abandoned an art form. (laughs) And then I say, now, see if you can take one tiny, tiny step (laughs) in the direction of undoing your art, your U-turn. Yes. 
Yes. And, uh, and then they start to feel optimistic, and the room starts to bubble with laughter. <laughs> it's lovely. You say the morning pages are non-negotiable. Why? What they do is they make you fall in love with yourself. Uh, And people start out saying, oh, Julia, my life's so boring. But, you know, after a couple of weeks, they're realizing, hey, my my life isn't boring. It's really pretty dramatic. (laughs) I have authentic, strong feelings. Yes, yes. Uh, And I say it's non-negotiable because... I want people to have continuity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The continuity that comes from doing the pages regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you asked about Mark Bryan. I talked to Mark uh, not too long ago, uh, and I said to him, are you still doing morning pages? <laughs> and he said, well, I do them whenever I'm in trouble. Wow. Isn't that And I said, well, sweetheart, <laughs> if you did them all the time, you wouldn't get in trouble. This is why we're divorced. <laughs> I understand. You know, um, one of the things I've noticed, Julia, from doing them is doing the morning pages, which, of course, is the three pages of longhand, if you're just tuning in, stream of consciousness writing for at least 21 days, which is how long it takes to form a new habit. What I've noticed is that little miracles start to form on the page. And one of those miracles, when you first started, was a character named Johnny, which turned into a novel. So what do you think happens to make these little miracles when you get all the monkeys off your back and all the cobwebs away and you just, you, you almost become clear and you, and you free yourself up for more creativity? Is that when the miracles start to show up? I think that you're excavating uh, a, a pile of debris Uh, it's as if you have a little whisk broom and you're going into all the corners and you're whisking the rubble into the center of the room where you can look at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you do that, you have room for expansion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you expand, uh, your idea, your ideas expand and your sense of yourself expands. Uh, you find yourself feeling taller <laughs> creatively. Yes. That's so interesting. You say something that I was shocked about. I was trying to understand this, how even a dancer's balance can improve from doing the daily repetition of writing three pages of longhand every day. How is that possible? Well, I I think what you're doing is you're improving your sense of balance across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you stop feeling awkward. (laughs) You start to feel more (laughs) sure-footed, and that can translate into a physical posture. Are you a dancer, Julia? I'm not a dancer. I have a daughter who's a dancer. Does she do the morning pages? Yes. That's fantastic. Why does an artist need to take themselves out on an artist date to be pampered and listened to? Well, I think we all understand work. So we're willing to work at the morning pages, and then we're willing to work on our projects. But we have an expression, uh, Judy, the play of ideas. (laughs) And we don't realize that that's literally a prescription. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And when you make a piece of art, you're hooking an image from what I would call my inner well. Uh, And if you're working flat out, you're hooking image after image after image, and your well becomes overfished. And then when you try and hook another image, it's elusive. There aren't so many images to fix. Yes. So when you take an artist's state, you're consciously replenishing your inner well. Mm. You're stocking it with new images, and they don't need to directly relate to the project at hand. It's as if you're enriching an ecosystem. Mm. What a gorgeous image, like you're filling up the reservoir. It doesn't even have to be for that project. It could be for a future project, but you're, you're, you're just refilling the well. well. It's such a gorgeous image, the way you describe it. Why do we have a fear of self-intimacy? Why are we afraid to be intimate with ourselves? I think we're afraid ourselves? of our power. I think Nelson Mandela was right when he said we're afraid of being large, not small. And I think uh, we have a mythology that tells us that if we become an artist, we're going to be lonely, we're going to be broke, we're Mm. going to be neurotic, we're Mm. going to be drug addicted, we're Mm. going to be alcoholic. Mm. We have a great deal of negative mythology, which makes it very hard to commit creativity because you're always afraid of the looming negatives. Yes. What is your response to that when when people think all of these things? Because, of course, they're not true. I say keep writing your morning pages and take an artist's state because when you take yourself out to spoil yourself, you put yourself in touch with a benevolent universe. Yes. And I have people uh, do an exercise called uh, Creativity God. Hmm. Uh, And we first take a look at the God we were brought up to believe in, Hmm. which is often, but not always, punitive, authoritarian, punishing, negative, male, jealous. uh, And... I say, now design a creativity guide with traits that you'd like to have. Playful, encouraging, Mm. supportive. Loving. Uh, Yeah, beautiful. And when they design their creativity guide, I say to them, now I want you to write a letter Mm. to your creativity guide from you. Mm. So they do. And then I say, now let's have a letter from your creativity guide (laughs) to you. (laughs) Wow. Uh, and they begin to imagine a benevolent something that actually helps them to expand. Mm. That's lovely. I call it the inner critic, Julia, or the gremlin as a life coach. You call it the enemy within core negative beliefs. How do we silence these negative beliefs? I know you have to combat them with something stronger, and you suggest affirmations. What are the mm-hmm. best way to do these affirmations so that they're authentic and they ring true and work for you? I have people do an exercise called affirmations and blurts. <laughs> so you write a sentence, I, then your name, I, Julia, <laughs> am a brilliant and prolific writer or artist or sculptor or dancer or <laughs> actor, whatever the art form is that you desire. <laughs> And then you listen for what I call a blurt, 
which is an objection from your inner critic mm-hmm. to the positive thing that you've just stated. Mm-hmm. So when I first wrote it, it was 1978. I was living in Hollywood. I was in the middle of a horrifying divorce. Mm-hmm. I was still in love with my husband. Uh, and, of course, I was frightened. And I wrote, I, Julia, am a brilliant and prolific writer. Mm-hmm. And I heard, no man will ever love you. Oh. It went right for my jugular. Oh, dear. So then I turned that around uh, and wrote, I, Julia, am a brilliant and prolific writer. Many men will always love me. (laughs) That's fantastic. I hope it came true because uh, that's wonderful that you were able to do that. That's, That's what we need to do. Not only do we have our own blocked creativity to deal with and our own skepticism, but we also have the poisonous playmates, you say, and the crazy makers. You say at the root of creative recovery is open-mindedness, but isn't it also letting go of all the people who drain your energy and your spirit? Well, I believe in building on the positive. Mm -hmm. And so I think I have people write three people who are for them believing mirrors hmm. which are people who mirror back to to them their strength their power their productivity their passion hmm. uh, and as you look at your believing mirrors it helps you to be able to let go of the crazy makers and the poisonous playmates I say don't tolerate anyone who throws cold water on you. <laughs> so true. Detach from those people. Your book is a 12-week course that requires a daily commitment, a stringent commitment. If you follow it faithfully, what exactly does this entail? And can you expect to see dramatic results? Yes. What happens is that as they use the tools, they begin to become open to the art forms that are speaking to them. So I don't have people uh, study with me over and over again. Hmm. I I say, do the artist's way, and then take that improv class you've been scared to take. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Fantastic. Like, don't keep taking the class with me. You've done the class. Now apply it somewhere. I've written many articles about procrastination, and I know that it's often perfectionism disguised as fear, that if we do something, it will never be quite as good as we dreamed or wished it would be. So why do you think we procrastinate, and how can we love ourselves enough to not self-sabotage in this way? All right. I think procrastination is, is born of fear. Uh, and perfectionism. Uh, And when I teach, I say, can I see the hands of anybody who has an issue with perfectionism? Mm -hmm. And every hand in the room will go up. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, And we'll say, if I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try. And you fill that in ten times. Mm -hmm. And you look at the things that, that you are telling yourself you had to be able to do perfectly to begin. Uh, And what uh, I say to people is don't call it laziness, which is what we call it when we procrastinate. (laughs) Call it fear. Yes. And that then uh, I I believe in bribes. (laughs) 
I think it's very helpful to bribe yourself. Mm. If you, uh, you know, you need just the courage to take a beginning step, and the beginning step takes the next step. Before we go to break, I'm just going to mention I'm part of a wonderful mastermind group of women, mostly singers and broadcasters, who really encourage each other to go for our dreams. One of them just completed a mesmerizing one-woman show. Her name is Mag Ruffman. One has moved to Hollywood and is working as a successful film actor right now. Many, Most of us are just doing our dreams and living a creative life. You talk about something called creative clusters. Is this the same thing? You also talk about sacred circles. Is that what I'm describing? You're in a mastermind group? I am. Um, I've done that, and it's powerful. Yes. Uh, And I think uh, a creative cluster is a group that gets together and works through the book as a group. Mm. And I often say take about a two-hour class once a week, and check in on the tools as as they are being used. Right. Uh, and share your experience, strength, and hope. That's lovely. Oh, it's so fantastic. We're going to go to a short break, and when we come back, more with Julia Cameron on her latest book, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back with Julia Cameron, and we're talking now about her latest book, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again. And Julia, you've written over 40 books, but there are none as perfect for our show, Finding Your Bliss, as this latest book, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, Discovering Creativity and Meaning at Midlife and Beyond. Can you describe what you mean when you say this book is your attempt to answer what's next? For students who are embarking on their second act. One was I was aging, uh, and I found myself horrified, and I found my students uh, poignant uh, who were approaching retirement or in retirement, uh, and they would say, oh, I dreamed of being an actor, but then I became an accountant. Mm. <laughs> And so I started to work with these students on retrieving their dreams Mm -hmm. and retrieving their power. Uh, And I found uh, that for many people, retirement uh, was 
upsetting and depressing because they lost their identity. Mm-hmm. They had had a work identity where they had many colleagues uh, and they were um, for their abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suddenly they were cut adrift. Yes. And they want to get reconnected and you're helping them get reconnected. And it might be just something completely different, right? It might be doing something completely different than something they've ever done before. It could be. Uh, I have a major tool uh, in this book, which is called the memoir. Uh, And it's a 12-week course and you divide uh, your age by 12, Mm. uh, and you do uh, that many years each week. And what happens is you start to remember your memories that were poignant for you Mm. uh, and your your dreams and desires that were poignant for you, Mm. uh, and you begin to to, uh, excavate. Uh, A lot of times people are afraid of the memoir. They... Mm. They say, oh, Julia, my life was so boring. Hmm. And then when they begin to to dig, uh, they find out that their life was actually colorful. Mm. And they see many choice points where they may have chosen to sort of sell themselves out. Yes. Uh, and they find themselves <clears throat> retrieving the part of themselves that was so passionate at an earlier age. Lovely. Do you think there's a a chance for people at this later stage, let's say any time 60 years old and over, to unlock their buried dreams through this book, to actually, while they're excavating, as the word that you used, to start getting at those buried dreams that have been buried so long ago and just bring them out into the open and actually take a look at them again? Yes, I think absolutely. I love that. I love that. There's an exercise from the artist's way of 25 things that you love. And I think that moving to Santa Fe at age 64 years old was on your list and you did it. Why Santa Fe and why was this the perfect place to begin again for you, Julia? Well, I did the artist's way exercise of listing 25 things I loved and I was living in Manhattan. Mm. And I had been there for 10 years. And I wrote, what do I love? And it was pignon, sagebrush, Mm. green chili, open Mm. skies, chamisa bushes. And I thought, this is not the Empire State Building. (laughs) i got to go somewhere where I can find all of these things. And so I had lived in Taos. Mm. The, the little teeny mountain town I talked about. Yes. I had lived in Taos for 10 years, but Taos was uh, increasingly dangerous. I had a stalker. Mm. So I didn't want to move back to Taos, even though I passionately loved Taos. Mm. And I thought, well, I'll move to Santa Fe. Oh. So I came to Santa Fe. Uh, and I found a little house in the mountains, mm. uh, and I found myself feeling connected to nature again. Mm. I, when I lived in New York, I would walk in Central Park and Riverside Park, mm. 
Uh, and I was always starved for nature. Mm. Uh, and Santa Fe is full of nature. Mm. It sounds so magnificent and gorgeous. It, I, it just sounds very um, glamorous to me somehow. I, and songs have been written about Santa Fe. It just sounds like such a wonderful place. You talk about re- reigniting a sense of wonder, wonder and awe. How do you achieve this? Well, I think that you begin with the natural world. Mm. And you find yourself looking at a full moon and thinking, oh, I love you, God, for creating mm-hmm. that moon. Mm-hmm. And you begin to connect. Uh, if you're living in the city, you maybe go to a florist shop uh, and you see a bromeliad. Uh, which is a lovely aqua and hyacinth-colored cactus. Mm. Uh, And you think, oh, that's wonderful. Mm. Uh, So you connect to a sense of awe. And I I think I talk a little bit later in the book about pets. Yes. uh, And how pets can awaken in you a sense of wonder. Yes, absolutely. You co-wrote this book with Emma Lively. You mentioned her before, a classical violinist turned writer, composer, and lyricist, now working in musical theater and animation. What was the process like of working together on this book? It's never too late to begin. it was very enjoyable. Emma and I have worked together for 20 years. Mm. I was her very first job out of graduate school, and we've just stayed on. Uh, And uh, we are... Uh, pretty much an effortless team. Mm. Uh, I would write an essay, uh, and then Emma would say, oh, I have a couple of stories that fit in that essay. <laughs> you're in sync. You're, 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 a, you're, a wonderful, uh, you're a wonderful team together. For someone who has created bliss for so many, what is sheer bliss for Julia Cameron? I like writing poetry. These days, write humorous poetry. Mm. And it gives me great pleasure to do. Uh, So there's that. I think walking my dog. Mm. I live on a dirt road up a mountain. uh, And walking my little dog, Lily. I have a little white Westie. Mm. Uh, and uh, when we walk, ravens come swooping down close to us, cawing. <laughs> mm. And I love that. And I'm a playwright, and when I see a piece of my work performed, uh, I feel great satisfaction. Mm. That sounds so wonderful. Is there an epiphany, and I'm sure there's many, in your creative life that will always stand out for you? I was touring uh, with my book, The Vein of Gold, and I was touring with a British composer uh, named Tim Weeder. 
uh, and uh, I loved his work as a sound healer. Uh, and we were touring, and I started getting poems like three a day. Mm. And they were very exciting for me. Uh, and he said, do you think we could do an album? And I said, oh, yes. (laughs) And so uh, if you go to my website, juliedecameronlive.com, you'll be able to read the poetry from the album. Oh, that sounds incredible. I want to thank you, Julia Cameron, really, for your generosity and for being our exclusive guest on this special edition of Finding Your Bliss. You really are like an angel on this planet who's brought bliss to so many people I think giving them one of the greatest gifts of all, which is the gift of tapping into their playful, creative child and being able to work at what they love to do and what they're passionate about. And so I think you've helped millions of people get unblocked and tap into their creativity and into living their best life. I know there's a lot of grateful souls out there, and we all want to thank you for the incredible work that you do in this world. Well, thank you. And to get in touch with you, with Julia Cameron, you can all go to juliacameronlive.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-C-A-M-E-R-O-N-L-I-V-E.com. You can also buy Julia Cameron's books directly online at Amazon Books and at major booksellers everywhere. I want to thank you so much. I'm going to close out the show with a meditation. I also want to thank our producer, Phyllis Newman, our production coordinator, Siobhan Kiley, our production assistant, Haley Elagia, our technical producer, Faz Quasi, Duncan Briggs, and everyone at Zoomer Radio. As always, I'm going to close out the show with a short meditation. Begin by settling back. Sit back or lie down comfortably with your eyes gently closed. And begin by taking in a deep breath in through your nose. And breathe out slowly through your nose or mouth, whatever feels more comfortable. Take in another deep cleansing breath and breathe out, letting go of all the tension in your body, feeling more and more relaxed and open. Create an intention of something you want to bring more of into your life, whether it's more creativity, more calm, more love, more joy or gratitude. Choose the one that resonates with you right now and imagine filling your heart with this love or calm or a creative surge or feeling of gratitude or happiness. Place your hand over your heart and feel that love or joy or creative surge overflowing more and more. Let that feeling come over you until you are living and breathing it to the full and then take in another deep cleansing breath And breathe out, feeling it wash over you, cleansing you of everything that has been holding you back and leaving you lighter, calmer, and more joyful than ever before. If thoughts come, just notice them and let them go, watching them float by like white cotton clouds in the sky. Just witness them and let them go. You do nothing but give way to the waves of relaxation and the incredible feelings of serenity and calm that come over you more and more. Breathe here again, just enjoying the feeling good sensation of letting go of what no longer serves you. And whenever you are ready, wiggle your fingers and toes, 
and acknowledge yourself for taking the time for self-care and peace in the middle of your day. Open your eyes, stretch and yawn, smile, and have a wonderful afternoon. For the Bliss Minute, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.